this is Richard Wilson speaking. Thank you for downloading One Foot in the Podcast. So I'm a wrinkly, crinkly, but don't shed a tear. I'm not exactly a little old dear. One thing's for sure, I'm still funny. Hello and welcome to episode six of series one of this rewatch series with guests. This week I have a returning guest. He's not been on for quite some time all the way in South Africa. It's Matt. Welcome, Matt. Thank you, Tom. Thanks for having me back. You're not feeling your best, are you? So we'll see how we get on. You've got a bit of a croaky voice, haven't you? Yes, unfortunately, I uh, I suppose not the wisest thing to do. I ran 90 kilometers just over a week ago. Battered my immune system and then caught a cold on the plane back home. I, I can see you running well into your 90s and overtaking a Victor Mildrew in a park run. Because you'll be that sort of fit and uh, experienced. I'd like to think I'd give uh, <laughs> Victor a good a good go. Tell me you haven't, with your croaky voice, tell me you haven't been ringing BT. The next thing you'll know, you're, the police will be calling around for um, accusations of sexual harassment over the telephone. Well, no. I mean, our equivalent of BT in this country, I don't even know if it even exists anymore. So, Oh, yeah. So yeah. it would be called BC in this. Oh, you might. I don't know. They're a global, more of a global brand these days. Probably not. It's probably not even BT. I, I, it's probably owned by a completely different corporation, but just under the name BT. Okay. Well, yeah, it's good to have you back. You've been on a couple of episodes. Beware yeah. the tricks on the roof anyone who they might recognize you for on this podcast and what was the other episode because it's just completely escaped me um i did the affair of the hollow lady i'm pretty sure and i did starbound oh so yes three you've been three i thought it was at least two a bit of a series regular in a way but you still haven't been on for quite some time so yeah it's good to have you on first one this year i suppose isn't it <laughs> yeah and and one thing i always tend to refer back to whenever i've been on is how much i actually like series one yes, so when i saw you were going that. back to to series one and, and having a second look at it i was very keen to to come back on again and chat about it because it uh, it, it is a series that i probably have more attachment to than any other just mm-hmm. because of how i got into one foot in the grave and it was just via these two uh, VHS uh, tapes of series one and for many years that's all I knew so I got very attached to it and then when I eventually did watch the later series um, I still just kept that that attachment to series one. Did you say you discovered those tapes in your parents loft or grandparents loft or something I can't remember attic I can't remember how you came across them to remind yes, me. Yes <laughs> it, it was at my grandparents house and I, I have no reason to believe they ever actually watched them Right. But I think they were just left there by extended family when they emigrated. So I just found them in a box of old tapes. Probably quite valuable now, actually. Yeah, you can you can get Series 1 on video uh, on eBay, that's for sure. Probably quite the collectible. And I don't know if videos would ever come back. You know how vinyls has come back over the last... Actually, well, on and off over the last 20 years, it's sort of made many comebacks, isn't it? But I don't know if video would in a trendy way. I think they're probably a very niche market for it. There's probably people who collect videos. There's probably people who specialize in converting video to DVD 
it has like a really rare stuff, but I don't know if it would ever come back in that. I one day would like to watch my old video tapes, my old pools and horses ones. Probably a pointless exercise, but it'd be good to see what original scenes were in those videos because you know, there's no doubt being cuts when they've been transferred to DVD and reruns on TV. But yeah, there's there's a there's a few moments in the series one where it seems to cut really abruptly, and when there's a cut that seems, or when a scene ends and it feels like there's more to it, you can only assume that was probably little bits cut from it. It's one of the reasons why I'm sort of a big fan of of hanging on to older formats of stuff. I mean, I'm still very much I'm a very much a DVD collector, and um, I'm buying new DVDs all the time still. Yeah, so, I, I've been into that. Just lately, I've, I've decided to, um, from here on out, buy DVDs again. Um, certainly of old comedies that I don't have copies of. Uh, and maybe old comedies I've never really given a chance. Um, I've still got a box full of DVDs that are close, special to me. Uh, all my favourite comedies, certainly. But I did give away loads to charity a few years ago. So I would like to collect DVDs you know, going forward now. Mainly of comedies, uh, not necessarily film or... But yeah, it's a good idea. Anyway, so here we are at the end of Series 1, The Return of the Speckled Band, February the 8th, 1990. Would you say that this is most fans' favourite episode of Series 1? I don't know if I can speak for most fans, but I think it's 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 the episode in Series 1 that maybe has the most of the one-foot-in-the-grave feel that, yeah. that people would come to expect in later series. And there, there are a number of things that occur in this episode that I think as we go through we might identify as sort of uh, some of the common tropes coming to the fore. Yes. And we also see or hear the I don't believe a catchphrase for the first time, which is said in such a way that it doesn't intend to be a catchphrase. When we come to it, Victor just says, oh, I don't believe it. But as the show evolves, it will become more of a uh, moments for, for for the audience to laugh out loud at, and there are variations of his catchphrase, obviously. Yeah, and I, th- I think it's probably quite uh, quite commonly known now that it wasn't David's intention for it to be a catchphrase in itself, but it just worked sometimes. But when when he was in utter disbelief at something, and as I said before, I mean, I I hadn't watched the later series yet for a long time, and I distinctly remember a conversation with somebody who knew One Foot in the Grave. And they talked about his catchphrase, and I had no idea. I was like, what, what do you mean his catchphrase? Because I'd only ever heard the line said in one episode. Yeah, yeah. Well, okay. Should we get cracking with the first scene of episode six, The Return of the Speckled Band? Yeah, let's go for it. One foot in the Opening up then, the last time we're, we'll see the Maldives at 37 Wingate Drive. I can never remember if it's Wingate Drive or Wingate Crescent. I know uh, Jean lives in Wingate Crescent, doesn't she? Ah, she is mentioned uh, you... in, the, in the opening episode of Series 2 when she gets a postcard and she reads up the address. It, I don't think it is Wingate. It could be. Anyway, right, I've, for, I've forgotten that detail. <laughs> this, is a, this is a sort of in-depth analysis one goes to when reviewing and I still miss things. So... That's why it's always good to have guests on, especially to go through these these opening two series, because there there will have been things I miss, possibly got wrong <laughs> in my innocent early days of this podcast. Unfortunately, Jean's got a bit of well, has been suffering with food poisoning. Um, I don't think it's clear, is it, how she picked up? I think she's had this bug on and off whilst eating some cake, obviously. <laughs> so she's obviously okay in this moment. Um, but I'm sure I was trying to think actually, has Jean had 
some sort of food poisoning in the later series. I feel like she's at least one other occasion. She's she drinks a uh, a solution, doesn't she? Later on, she in the does. Episode, yes, which makes her worse. <laughs> but I just try to think. Is there a similar time later in the series where she is, is unwell? There must be. I just can't think. I remember ending up in hospital. Um, <coughs> oh yeah, that's, when that's uh, when, when Victor goes around to the hospital and uh, visits Rock. the wrong patient. <laughs> Yeah, that was she was in a car accident, wasn't she? Or I can't remember what. Yeah, the, uh, yeah. Well, anyway, um, while speaking to Margaret, her recent uh, food poisoning or bug, whatever she she's been experiencing, Victor walks in with a uh, some sort of top hat, which will be a recurring joke throughout. It's a hat that belongs to Jean's late uncle Edwin, not to be confused with Edwin the Spider in Wisdom of the Witch, of course. They were rather bleakly going to bury this. Uncle Edwin with the hat, which does <laughs> only fools and horses fans will liken that joke to uh, strange relations. Strange relations, yeah. But I'm I'm bad enough at remembering the the episode titles of One Foot in the Grave, so I'd I'd be pretty hopeless on uh, Only Fools because I I don't know it as well. Okay, no. So there was that was a, a classic joke of fools where Dell, I think, or Rodney, they they <laughs> or they thought Grandad's had to be in the grave. Uh, in this instance, yeah, Gina said the same sort of thing. They were going to bury him in it, but, well, you know, may, may as well give it to Victor. I don't know why she felt Victor would want this. Well, um, funny enough, you mentioned Grandad, because it is it is actually similar style to, to Grandad's hat and it's not too you know, Only Fools and Horses. I mean, it's a it's a trilby, which I always associate with, like, 1960s uh, kind of fashion. Even James Bond wore a trilby in the early James Bond movies. Yes. And then, of yeah. course, uh, Mrs. Warboys likens uh, Victor's appearance to President Gorbachev <laughs> when he's got the hat on, which I think was a, was an unexpectedly uh, relevant uh, reference for us now, because of course Gorbachev has just died recently. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, yeah. Well, Victor didn't take kindly to that compliment, did he? <laughs> no. And I guess it's also a sign of uh, of when the, the the show was made, because in the previous episode in. Um, the Eternal Quadrangle. There's, there was also a reference to Boris Yeltsin. So there's there was, a lot of that's yeah, Russian that's politicians in the news. Obviously, Prominent. end of the Cold War, 1990, yeah. 89, 90. So obviously, uh, very much in the popular conversation at the time. I've written down here. Gene thinks this hat is a type of hat Victor can wear on holiday, but I think in Athens, absolutely not. You, you'd be going to wear a baseball cap, not a uh, drill. <laughs> I guess in the in the 60s or 70s, you would do, but uh, yeah, but in 1990, yeah, not, not by 1990. <laughs> she's still stuck in that era, I suppose. And uh, there's a Pol Pot reference, isn't there? I remember speaking about this in when I first reviewed this and how she doesn't know who Pol Pot is, but given her exceptional trivial pursuit knowledge in Hearts of Darkness, it amazes me that she wouldn't get that reference. That's bordering on a, on a character inconsistency in the scripting. <laughs> but uh, fair enough. I mean, if they don't know who, who it is, but uh, it is quite a funny word or funny name, Pol Pot. It's like that that double hard P. It's it's like sort of like Bob or in That's Black Adder, you know, when they say the name, it's like that that hard P gives it like a, a funny sound. So when they when they're like, who's Pol Pot? It's, yeah, it's a it's quite a. I mean, if you're going to pick names of. Uh, genocidal dictators. I mean, Pol Pot is probably the funniest one. That's true. I was just thinking, actually, like, it, in the first series of a comedy, uh, there are going to be, if, if that if that comedy produces a second and third or fourth series with those same characters, there are going to be some continuity errors because you don't know what, what direction these characters are going to take. But I likened, I'm sure I mentioned this the first time around, 
but with her lack of knowledge of who Pol Pot was, but is so good at Trivial Pursuit, I had this same thing at family, one family Christmas we were playing. It wasn't Trivial Pursuit, but similar. And the family member was just absolutely kicking ass with pretty much every question, getting it right. Then we played this more child-friendly game where you had to like describe something in the room. And she was absolutely useless at it. So it's this, there's no consistency sometimes, is there? So That's maybe true. she's just not so good on her historical figures, or so to speak, but more... I can't remember the questions in Trivial Pursuit were more. Well, we can obviously remember that infamous one. What does the uh, the, the, the gazelles dropping gazelles smell like, or something yeah. like that? So, and there was one. There was about music related one and yeah. various things. I can't actually remember now the context of the Pol Pot thing. Where she? What was what was the reference there? Um, what was the context? Well, uh, Victor was talking. Uh, Margaret was talking about how much Victor loathed the idea of of going flying in the airplane. He said he'd rather. Spend two weeks at a seaside guest house run by Pol Pot. I suppose. Uh, that which which also made me think, would you rather spend two weeks at a guest house run by Pol Pot or by uh, their friends from series two? Uh, what are their names? Uh, Vince and April. Oh, love and death. That's, that's what I was, I was also thinking. Come one foot in the Algarve. Um, he is truly frightened of flying. He's very, I'd say, he was, not to be too dramatic, but he wasn't... Um, he wasn't happy to be on that plane even before it taken off. So that is actually quite a good consistency. He's he's quite afraid of the idea of flying out to Athens and that trait is carried over into one foot in the Algar. So a brilliant sort of gene moment here. Very untactful as ever. It's the first of many, but she's going to, uh, even though she's never been to Athens, she's, she reels off a load of uh, <laughs> reasons to avoid it. Sort of passively. She doesn't, she doesn't mean it as ever, but it's just typical ignorant. Athens, you say? Yes, huh? You ever been there? I haven't been there myself, but I hear it's absolutely horrible. <laughs> oh, oh, no, I mean, I, ha- I haven't been there for myself. It's, it's probably lovely. <laughs> hope so. Yeah. I just read somewhere that it's one of the ten most unpleasant places on earth you could go to for a holiday. Oh, goody, goody. <laughs> for pollution and congestion and what have you. Oh. <laughs> Filth. <laughs> Squalor, litter in the streets. Uh, could you pass the cake tin, please? Oh. The way she says it as well, like, I hear it's absolutely horrible. It's like you, you're expecting her to say it's lovely, but just yes. that last word, absolutely horrible. And the, the ten, ten reasons why it's such a terrible place. When I l- listen to her say that, I actually wonder if uh, people say similar things about, like, coming to visit South Africa. Because I've, I've heard people who've come and visited and really enjoyed it, say their friends before telling, oh, don't, don't go there, mate, you, you get murdered. Um, I know. I, I, you hear that about certain countries around the world. But I feel like certain holiday destinations around Europe had a certain reputation for being a bit filthy. And, uh, you know, you might... Because I think the hotels are probably... More and more hotels being built in the 90s and are still up there now. And maybe if you went on holiday in the nineties, you probably saw a load of construction workers, you know, outside of your window rather than skyscrapers or buildings or the sea. So back then, maybe you just saw a load of tack around you. Yeah, but she. It was uh, not only Victor not looking forward to flying; he's getting the idea that it's going to be a bit of a dive, and 
it's probably demotivating him further. I enjoyed uh, Margaret's sort of nervous glances over to Victor as <laughs> as Jean's going through her list of complaints about Athens because uh, it's, it's like like she's she's just keeping a, a close eye on Victor, like either on his his state of mind about going or or whether he <laughs> he might eventually just flat out say I refuse to go now. Raw sewage. That's another one. <laughs> finish off at the hall if you don't mind it feels like minutes later it's sort of to a separate scene sort of between the hallway and kitchen victor references the carpet that was put down a couple of weeks ago and he spotted a stain and that really that gives you an idea of the timeline because i think it was the last episode or the episode before they did have some carpet down i think it was yeah the um, eternal quadrangle so this and is a couple if, of weeks later. Yeah, that's right. And actually, I just rewatched Eternal Quadrangle back to back with with this yeah. episode. Now, just wondering if there'd be any context to this one. And actually, I, had, I hadn't really picked up on the carpet thing no, until I, now. I did so it, it was a nice little detail that stood out to me this time. I think it's because I, I, I read it with the uh, with the su- watched it with the subtitles on for the first time today. Okay. Where he, he mentioned he references two weeks down and a stain already or something like that. Yes, yeah. Whereas I never really picked up that two weeks. You just wouldn't, before. would you? No, I, I don't suppose you would unless you really paid attention. Um, but I do, I do like little callbacks in an episode from previous episodes because it gives you a rough idea whereabouts they are in that episode in that timeline. But yeah, he goes to retrieve a cleaning solution, and you can hear Gene still trying to work out who Paul Potts. Pole pot, and at the door is a meter reader. This is Clive Mann. When I had Doreen on, I was supposed to ask, "Is there any relation to you?" Because obviously, same surname, and I never did. And I don't know how funny. Sure. I didn't. I never. I never read, uh, put two and two together with the surname. That no. uh, they're, they're the same. But yeah, funny enough. I mean, this actor. I don't. I don't really know him outside of this. Although I did look in his credits and uh, apparently he was in Alien Three, which I watched rewatched a few <laughs> weeks ago. I don't remember spotting him in it. I but, yeah, but uh, when I when I was when I was young and watching this, for some reason I thought he might be John Cleese. <laughs> oh, okay, I can see that. Yeah, and in, in, in those days I only knew John Cleese from his appearance in a couple of the Pierce Brosnan and James Bond movies. I hadn't seen any of the stuff when he was younger, so right. I thought the, this guy looked like a younger version of the character from the James Bond films. Yeah, I mean, for for me, I, I first recognized him from casualty which was always on a saturday night and game of thrones he was in a episode or two and loads of other things of course vicar dibley but yeah i remember watching this back maybe the first couple of times however many years ago and he, i didn't recognize him it's the mustache that throws me off i think electricity what so much like christopher ryan in the i think it was the valley affair who says plumber he says, yes. le- does he say electricity? Also? Yeah, he just says electricity. Yeah, straight out. Very, very, uh, very limited in their in their wordage. These tradesmen. Yeah, yeah. He's there to do the the meter reading, and you can hear Margaret continue a conversation in the background. Jean, Jean's looking a bit peaky. She's handed Victor's hat to be sick into. And meanwhile, the meter man spots a headless teddy bear on an excise bike. So he's he's under the stairs. He makes this remark, and I think it was you. It might have been yourself, actually, in when we reviewed Beware the Tricks on the Roof. You know, when Victor's cutting up a teddy bear's head, yep. he's trying to mash up a new toy for Margaret's nephew. That's another example of good continuity, because he's obviously done this. He does this as a hobby or something, because under the stairs, he's got all sorts of, yeah, like, teddy bear cut up and stitched up or whatever. So I thought that was quite 
quite interesting, so to speak, that it carries on throughout the series, but only a yeah, couple yeah. of examples. Uh, yeah, I do remember making that reference at the time when we recorded that episode, although I did question how many uh, or how frequently Victor acquires new headless teddy bears because this house burnt down, so he must have <laughs> got some new old tatty toys by the time yeah. the series There's, 3 came around. There is, a, there is that was probably the only plot hole that one foot fans can find because obviously this because this house burns down anything you see in a new house which has been referenced has been in their possession for years they sort of go well it would have been burned down surely you know his um all of his magician kit and that wooden puppet that he mucks about with in hole in the sky unless there's some really good fireproofing on that stair cupboard yeah i don't know that if if that would have been if fireproofing would have been um a thing in in the late 80s early 90s but i like to think he maybe he had a lockup somewhere they had a they might have had a garage or they had a, they, they had a garage didn't they so for all we know a lot of it was in the garage that's People, true so i i that's how i'm gonna have to explain it to myself just to rationalize why there's a few things in 19 riverbank of the few possessions that apparently has been in their hands for years and years but yeah, yeah I, do, I do find the uh, meter man's uh sort of uh puzzlement at the <laughs> at what he finds under the under the stairs very amusing and victor refers to him as lloyd grossman i don't oh, yeah, get I that think. reference can you elaborate on that at all bit, bit of a prominent well it was a prominent figure an author basically he didn't he's probably he's still he's still alive actually I just have to check now um he's just a british author broadcaster more in like he's described as like a cultural campaigner um he's often referenced lloyd grossman in loads of shows so he's got a bit of a it's a bit like when um if you ever hear like heard of mary whitehouse reference in old comedies okay the mary whitehouse movement where she in the 50s and 60s and 70s and 80s used um used to campaign against the sort of um filth that was on our tvs so tv starts to get more and more uh blue so to speak with language so i think lloyd grossman sort of is in the category of uh I don't know if he's classed as a, a chef or a cook, but you can get Lloyd Grossman um, jars of bolognese sauce and stuff, which I've purchased many times. Very nice. Okay. Grossly, grossly expensive, but when, when a name involved in food, in the food culture and chef programs and stuff, usually it's more heavily priced. But yeah, he sort of dabbled in different things, really. Anyway, um, sorry, that was a long-winded answer. I've not really known too much about him other than he's, <laughs> not, he's not really on our screens as much. At the door, actually, shortly after Clive Mantle, the electrician, arrives, there's a lady collecting some charity bags, which Victor calls out uh, Margaret to get all their stuff down. And at this point, Jean is at the table with a sick bucket. Uh, Victor's actually shown his care inside here, isn't he? He recommends some Andrew's liver salts. And I don't think that's a remedy used as much now if you're feeling sick. But unfortunately, whilst he's recommending this, he's already stirring a glass of something which is obviously a carpet cleaning solution and immediately puts it down next to jeans. I think that's when he goes to answer the door, isn't it? I'm just trying to work out the mix-up. How does that work? That's yes, it would be because he's, he's called away and yeah, he mentions specifically she must drink it while it's still frothing. So she grabs it very, very quickly and downs it. Anyway, so she downs it. God, that's just going to be... Well, well, we'll learn what the consequence of that was. So unfortunately for the electrician, because he's taken his shoes off the collection lady is taking them with her which is that a plausible thing that could that happen he's put them on top of a box which is supposed to go to charity but i don't know why you put the shoes on out 
uh, take them off outside. You put them inside, surely. I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting one. I like the reference to uh, he didn't think he was putting them on the next plane to bloody Bo- Mozambique. Mozambique. Uh, and that's a nice little reference to somewhere, at least sort of in my part of the world. Yeah. I've never been to Mozambique. Um, I've been within a few meters of the border, but that's about as close. Oh, close as, as I've got. got. That's closer than me. Um, well, Victor offers, uh, you know, his shoes, but the, he, this chap is a size 13. Um, and he gets a little bit funny, doesn't he, about his feet and his socks being ridiculed. But he was doing the same thing with the contents of Victor's understairs. So right. I feel like there's a bit even there. Um, they're, they're quite rude and abrupt to each other, aren't they, Victor and this guy? There's yes. not much patience. I do I do enjoy the uh, humour of his line about uh, how is he supposed to go out in the rain? Is he, must he slop up and down the gutter like Gene Kelly? <laughs> um, when I was a kid, Gene Kelly was like one of my idols. And oh, really? Uh, I wanted to learn how to dance like Gene Kelly in Singing in the Rain. So I, even to the extent that I even went went to visit a tap dancing class once, although I never actually went back. It was oh, okay. a very... <laughs> do you I didn't still admire Gene Kelly? Do you still admire? I, I, I certainly do. I, I've watched a few, a few Gene Kelly movies recently. <laughs> really, still really enjoy him. But yeah, I can't imagine this uh, meter man having any of Gene Kelly's uh, finesse, especially <laughs> in barefoot. I just, well, I just watching this this electrician guy try on the shoes, and he's sort of doing a catwalk and really trying to admire them, and he's getting a little bit. Almost like he's in a he's in an, in shoe zone because he he's asked he asked for a uh, a pair of, like a dark grey taupe and Victor responds where do you think we are Freeman Hardy and Willis which I had to look up I I thought this is probably a shoe related reference but I was keen to see if they're still going I think they are so yeah he's he's got a perfectly good pair of shoes there the guy is uh, I mean I don't know how anyone else would react if your shoes were taken and you just given second hand ones you'd be a little bit well, you'd be a little bit. Uh, <laughs> Antsy, wouldn't you? But he's got at least got a pair that fits him. Shoes, shoes is a another time shoes are brought up. Secondhand shoes. I know earlier in this series, he complains of uh, his heels being like carved away because the sharp bits that you know. I, I say that I don't you seem to get shoes like that anymore. They they're quite they're more comfortable. But back then, I remember having new school shoes and they were just absolutely great to wear your heel. I remember that well. Also, ankle. yeah, and and I suppose. Uh, the I think it's in series two or three. I think it's uh, the broken reflection. No, Dreamland when he buys a, a second-hand pair of a, a corpse. He doesn't know yes. the person. So in this instance, there uh, another second pair of second-hand shoes. I don't suppose it it comes up again. There's just a few shoey type jokes throughout the series. Not as many as I thought actually. <laughs> um, it, the penny drops for this uh, bloke. Actually, he says you're that strange bloke. Like he's talk of the neighbourhood, so he's got, he, he's got a bit of a name for himself as Victor. He's obviously had the graffiti on the wall in an earlier episode in series two, episode one. He's a bit at war with the neighbours because they think he's making a load of noise when he stood outside his demolished house. He obviously goes to town on these uh, types of moments and argues his case to the point he has got a reputation. Yeah, so, you'd, you'd imagine if it was if it was filmed now or written now, there'd be like a WhatsApp group of people in the area <laughs> complaining about. Uh, troublesome residents like maybe the uh, the window cleaner from episode two would be on the group <laughs> yeah. and the meter man and whoever else he uh, regularly has to call in at people's houses victor would definitely be part of a facebook neighborhood watch group though i think i yeah. think he would be we've got a neighbor here who uh he's he's a chap in his he's just turned 80 i think but he he's very 
he will see what's going on around our area and report things uh-huh. to the council and kick up a fuss about and no engineers or, or workmen in the area to fix certain things and and he, he complains about neighbors and and how they've uh because in our area you can't park your car on your on like if you have a front lawn you're not allowed to park your car on it i don't know what okay. kind of regulation that is so he's the sort of person to have like grass on that person for doing so um i'm not just guessing that's what he's told me he said oh that that number 24 over the road they've uh, parked their van on there so I just think, uh, I don't know if Victor would be like that as such. He'd probably have a good moan about it. I don't know. I think he'd be more amusing with it. But anyway, don't dwell on that. So that's that scene's ended. And that, that's the last we'll see of the election. It, it is also, it's also quite amusing how well informed he is. He also knows about Victor's holiday plans. Oh, yeah. And I think um, as the episode goes on, Victor seems to be getting more and more spooked by uh, <laughs> outside influences on his... Uh, opinion of of going away on holiday oh, whether it's uh mrs warboys the meter man and more to come later well jean is a gossip she 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 would have yeah, just said oh the, the Maldry's going on holiday soon and uh just word gets around isn't it maybe he's read her meter previously uh very recently as well and she just decided to say oh my friends are going on holiday soon i don't know i think it's the same day the same night victor's reading an athens manual and uh, we learn Gina's oh, it's quite savage, really. She's having a stomach pumped. Uh, the Melge is a little bit confused how it got this bad. because we know it's obviously what, what the, the probable root cause is. She obviously had problems before from the stomach. I'm no medical professional, but I, I'd imagine the solution, carpet solution, would have been the icing on the cake and really got things going in her stomach. Poor woman. But, uh, <laughs> and I, I suppose, Victor, with the uh, other things going on, may have forgotten all about the carpet cleaning and never gone back to his glass of uh, cleaning solution. Oh, of course, yeah. That's a good point, actually. It's been, he, he probably looked at the empty glasses and thought, oh, maybe I did clean the floor earlier and just had a bit of a memory blank. But, yeah, that's interesting. Well, not, it's not interesting, but it's a good point. He uh, didn't get to carry out that little task. I'm sure he does off-camera another time. Um, I also enjoyed noting how um, the audience at the recording laughs at the the line about Jean having her stomach pumped. Um, maybe it's also that double P again. It just oh. makes people laugh. But uh, it sort of foreshadows what we're going to see in the future. And again, earlier I spoke about one foot in the grave tropes that are sort of coming to light. And one of the things in this one is basically the start of the long-suffering Mrs. Warboys. Not yeah. just a, a friend of Margaret's, but somebody who uh, horrible things are going to happen to her time and time again. <laughs> Yeah, and she's not well, done she, for this episode either. There's still there's, there's still, still a more, to bit come. more drama later, isn't there? Yeah. <laughs> well, anyway, a Mrs. Berenger who had spotted Jean at the hospital. That's how they found out about the her being her pumped, her stomach being pumped. It's through word of a Mrs. Berenger. I suppose Jean went exactly had a mobile phone to hand to text Margaret <laughs> her status. I mean, hospital. Um, Mrs. Berenger isn't someone we'll hear from again. I don't think, but she. She's a, she's she's often found in the, the in the florists where Margaret works. Much like the the last episode where Margaret offered Victor's babysitting services, she's done the same sort of thing and offered Victor to be a chauffeur for Mrs. Berenger's husband to visit the garden centre. And uh, Victor's surprised. I think it's surprisingly passive about this. Doesn't really. I, I do this. like the look he gives her though, um, <laughs> and and asks very. Uh, with some sort of uh, dread, he's not trouble, is he? It's like, um, 
whether he's got five-year-olds mm. giving him trouble or, or old men, uh, husbands of friends of Margaret. I think he's probably a little bit uh, skeptical of what, he, what Margaret's got him into oh, on this occasion once again. Yeah, I suppose the babysitting thing was only a few weeks ago in this timeline probably. So, uh, yeah, it's no surprise that he's a bit like, oh, God. But this, um, the next thing brings us to the garden centre. And it's a great cut, too. I really like the cut from, yeah. it's not, he's not trouble, is he? And then the next thing is this guy being wheeled through a garden centre, just going, Beep, 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 mind your backs, please, ladies. The Rhododendron Express is just coming through. There they go. Uh, played by John Cater. He passed away in 2009, which isn't all that long ago. He's a bit of a seasoned professional. He's done loads of stuff, stage and screen. Yeah, Mr. Berenger playing the insufferable type, I described, putting on that ex- sort of eccentric persona. He looks at greeting everyone. He passes in a sort of theatrical manner, much to Victor's obvious bemusement. Picks up a toy dog bone, making a joke. He gets a good few laughs from the other customers, though. They seem to be enjoying well. Um, appreciating him a lot more than Victor does, I'm no doubt. Yeah, it, some random bloke has dropped some plank on his foot. A bit hammy acting. This guy's just got to sort of hop, hobble on one foot and look in agony. He hasn't got any lines. And it's just a sound effect as well. There's the sound of that like, concrete slab <laughs> going, yeah. hitting the floor. And then the first you see of him, he's just hopping around. So there's not even any stunt work involved. <laughs> Mr. Berenger gives up his uh, wheelchair. Victor very flubbergasted, like he would be. Immediately gets Victor rolled up. Drop that slab on his foot, poor sod, didn't you see? Well, you. You can walk. Yes. How long have you been able to walk? Since I was about two years old, I can't remember. And I love that response from Mr. Berenger. He thought it was a bit strange that Victor was pushing him in the chair. So he just went along with it. He didn't think to say, oh, you don't need to push me. So even though he, he thought it was weird, I think it's just as weird that he allowed it to happen. It's bit, Especially yeah. when Victor specifies that he carried him up several flights of stairs. Um, you, you yeah. sort of think even, even if he think if uh, his rationale is that he thought Victor would think he's doing a good deed for, yeah. for, for, for Mr. Berenger, I think there's a certain point where you have to go, hang on, <laughs> actually, I can walk up these stairs, uh, not to worry. <laughs> again, another Fools and Horses moment in T for 3. Any Fools fans listening, you'll remember Dell trying to make Rodney feel bad by after hang gliding incident. Of course, he was in a wheelchair, apparently he can never walk again. And when Rodney winds him up further, gets out of his wheelchair to sort of threaten him. And of course, he exposes himself that he can actually walk. So it's uh, a similar gag there. Different in, in a different circumstance, obviously. But yeah, Victor um, quite rightly uh, has a go at him and says you, you can walk home. And yeah. That's that's it, really. It's, it's a uh, funny moment where he he hands him the only thing on the whole trolley that that Mr. Berenger has actually bought, which is just this tiny little cactus in a little pot. So was Victor always going to the garden? Because Victor had a load of stuff purchased. Was he yes. always going to the garden centre? Was he just? Can you do a favour? Can you just take this guy can, on your way to the garden? M- Margaret did ask him, "Are you still planning on going to the ah, garden centre go. tomorrow?" That's so yeah, it was question. it was a planned. Trip. I was going to say, if it wasn't planned, he's brought an awful lot of stuff for the house. It's a shame, isn't it? Because they're obviously doing up their garden, which is, you know, they're going to be moving out of that house in a couple of weeks' time, aren't they? Because it's going to be demolished entirely. Although the garden would probably be okay, but nowhere to live in, of course. So we've got a very rare 
scene of Jean's bedroom, actually. Second time will be in, I think, only a story. Different house, obviously. Look, It looks like it could be the same set, same size. This is presumably her large house that we see in... In the worst horror of all, she's got a very big house. So, uh, presuming this bedroom we see her in, we, we only see like a close-up shot. But when we see her bedroom again in only a story, it's obviously when she's split with Chris and presumably in a small um, ground floor flat because we see Victor walking in when it's flooded. Um, it's just, as I was reviewing this, I thought, I didn't really see Jean's house that many times. I thought it was quite interesting, actually, how this set feels similar to that to that flooded uh, flat that we saw. I mean, yeah. it doesn't feel like a very different sort of space, even no. though we are to assume, I think, that it, it it must be a different location. She's talking over having her stomach pumped and um, the medication she's on. It has been referenced, actually, Chris is uh, away at the moment. He's in a hotel. So is this uh, Chris playing away? Because obviously we do learn he, he sleeps with the private investigator but he probably has been playing you know playing away so to speak sounds like he's a bit of a businessman yeah uh, stereotypical sort of sleazy businessman who tries to get his end away when on business uh victor has for some reason loaned gene a copy of aliens i bet you are all over are you an aliens fan the, the franchise alien i certainly didn't know it when i watched this series for the first time no you'd have been quite um, young though wouldn't you that's, yes, uh, yeah. But uh, I watched it later on, and it's actually a- Alien. The original film is is uh, one of my favorite films of all time now. And in fact, this was also the first time I heard the name Ridley Scott. It was actually in this uh, Ridley Scott's. Yes. <laughs> well, I suppose it's because it would have said on the thing Ridley Scott's Alien because he's the director. Um, <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, and she's misunderstood that for his name. Yeah, yeah. again, like cultural. General, sorry, general knowledge in the art, arts and entertainment, not that strong based on this evidence for Gene, but in Trivial Pursuit. And, and, and funny that um, Margaret thinks she might like it because she's into things like Mork and Mindy. Yeah, how is that similar? <laughs> Star Trek. Mork and Mindy, I don't, I, I know I've heard of Mork and Mindy, but that's not, that bears no comparison, right? Aren't they some sort of uh, alien Mork and characters? Mindy. American sitcom. It's, it's an American. It's from it's in 1978. Robin Williams. Oh yeah, it it's um, Robin Williams stars as Mork, an extraterrestrial comes to Earth from the planet Orc, and uh, Pam Dorber as Mindy Mc, McConnell, his human friend, roommate, and eventual love. So yeah, okay, that's why. Even though it's still completely different genre, if you like, it's still extraterrestrial related. So yeah, uh, Annette, I was going to say Annette. Uh, Margaret thinks, yeah, she'll probably like it because of that. Uh, like you said, Jean references the Star Trek comparison as well. Also, they sort of talk about Jean's bug. I think it sounds like the hospital did a bit of a naff job diagnosing Jean, thinking it was just another bug. But did they not have the technology to identify any sort of chemicals or foreign objects in the human body in 1990? I feel like they would have gone, well, we've, we've pumped all this uh, fluid out and then did run some tests on it. But maybe they didn't have that technology then. Unless they, she's just referring to what made her sick again in the first place when they're eating cake. Yeah, possibly, yeah. Just reviewing the scene then, I was just picturing Victor. Victor visits right at the end, doesn't he? So this is Margaret, not Victor in this scene. Sorry, I might have referenced him to being there. So yeah, (laughs) Margaret's looking forward to the holiday. It has been disaster after disaster. You know, what else could go wrong sort of thing? That's a 
relatively short scene. Uh, I mentioned every episode actually this series, but they are series one is full of very short, quick scenes, and it makes the episode fly by. In the they do indeed, there. yes. Yeah. And and what I also love is they do seem to uh, cut into the middle of another scene. Like here, Margaret references uh, how many disasters and what what could possibly go wrong next, yeah. and we cut straight into the middle of a conversation about a disappeared python. <laughs> yeah, this is. So this actor is Lloyd Maguire. He's, I don't know if you've seen him in any of any other British shows. He was in the first Jonathan Greek episode with the detective. He looks like a detective in this. He's been in a really good sitcom, Teachers, if you've ever seen Teachers, and loads of other British dramas. But he always seems to play the same kind of character. I just thought he looks like the most or the least convincing garden centre manager ever. Is that what he's supposed to be? Or is he supposed to be from the emergency services because a, a, a nine-foot Indian python snake is on the loose? That's a safety issue. Have they had to call the police? But then he wouldn't speak to a worker like that, would he, if you were? No, I'd, I'd very much assume that he's the manager of the garden centre. Mm. I don't know the actor from any of the other things you mentioned. No, I don't he's, think he's, I've seen him before. He's quite recognisable. Did you say Did you say you've watched Jonathan Creek or not? Not really. I, I haven't, no. Okay, right. And again, we were talking earlier about uh, DVD collecting. I was actually, after listening to the David Renwick Q&A episode that just came out, yeah. I actually was on, on my uh, online store where I buy my DVDs, checking out the Jonathan Creek box set. So I think it, it might be it. a necessary purchase very soon. If you, if you like mystery dramas, it's really good. It's, it's I can't speak highly enough. And it's also really funny. You'll probably recognise a few. Annette's in one episode, a really good okay. episode. Richard Wilson never made it over to Jonathan Craig. I think he might have been offered a part or considered for a part. But there's a few characters that you'll recognise from One Foot Universe who are in Jonathan Creek. But yeah, it's really, really good. Anyway, sorry. So yeah, there's... <laughs> Seven foot long Indian python on the loose. I just, just observing the line of dialogue by this garden centre manager. He says, "Can't have an open ladies' purse. That snake could be anywhere by now, and it probably is." Did it make sense to me? Like it's a bit of an oxymoron. It could be anywhere now by now, and it probably is. Well, we know it is because it's not in the garden centre. To what we, from what we can see, it could be anywhere by now, and it probably is. It could have just said it could be anywhere by now. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's one of those. One of those strange English turns of phrase that people use that doesn't really make sense, but it's kind of a way of emphasizing a point. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I did. I did wonder if this tank is big enough for such a large snake. It, it does look like a a relatively small. You're very, very tank. spot on with that. That looks absolutely tiny. Poor thing being curled up into <laughs> a uh, curling ball. Yeah. I don't know much about keeping snakes, but I have seen some, I mean, probably longer than seven feet, but I've seen some pretty monstrous pythons in my time. I remember once I was in a, in a game reserve here in South Africa called the Kruger Park, which is like our biggest nature reserve. And we came actually upon a python on the road and you couldn't see its head or its tail. It was across the entire road. Head was in the bushes on one side and tail was in the bushes on the other side. And we sat there for for like a minute or more until eventually the tail sort of emerged out of the bushes and slithered away into yeah. the bushes on the other side. So this is definitely not quite in that scale, but still seemed like a small tank to me. You don't get seven, eight, nine, ten feet pythons crossing roads in this country. You might get slugs, but 
uh, I've never seen <laughs> snakes. But you know, the, that garden scene that ends, it opens up. I've just spotted this close up of a wicker sort of basket that Victor's brought home, like a caricature snake basket. You know, you see in those films where snakes yes. are like kept in, and I don't know if that's done on purpose or not. So the snake has found its way into Victor's car, which was what unlocked. Did, he, did it slither in at the right moment when he opened it? Did he have his boot open for too long? He somehow hasn't spotted it, that's for sure. So he's done really well to not spot a seven-foot python in his car, unless it's gone underneath the car and somehow survived the journey home. Don't know. Well, I've heard of snakes climbing into the engine compartment of a car from underneath, but oh, probably not a python. <laughs> anyway, so yeah, it looks like he's doing a bit of gardening, as we've established now. And he's he's going to go to the front lawn, but it looks a bit. And as he opens the door, there's a chirpy, uh, what we call a Geordie, or someone from the northeast. I think this is quite a popular scene amongst the one foot community. Ah, Yarin, I wondered if you would be. It isn't Christmas, is it? <laughs> Christmas, I could be for you, though, sir. You know what I mean? It could be Christmas for you. Pardon? We've got it back, man, you know, and I knew how, you know, I knew how you'd get upset if you didn't know where it was, because you didn't know where it was, and we've got it back in your hat. It's seven sound here. Oh, you, uh, found it. Well, I will found it, I just a thought went into the crusher. I says, Jesus, there's a hat gone in that crusher. I says, he'd be worried stiff looking for that. There's a brand new hat, you'd be looking for it, you know what I mean? Yes, yes. <laughs> this is played by Willie Ross. He, he hasn't been in too much. He died in the year 2000. So sadly, he wouldn't have seen out, seen through the whole of one foot. Or would he have done? Twins, what month died? No, he might have done. But anyway, he's just returning this hat that Victor doesn't like. Um, so he's become a bit of a boomerang, this hat. I really like this performance by this guy. He's a bit of a centric, quirky, classic one foot character. He's a dustman, isn't he? In East. He's just returning the hat. He hints for a tip um, for his troubles. Victor walks off to get, presumably, a bit of money. And then, of course, he, we and this dustman see the snake crawling up the staircase. <laughs> He's taken back by it, isn't he? And that's when he says to Victor, You sly old bugger, you. <laughs> You're not telling me you're keeping snakes like that, innit, yeah? And it's quite a clever exchange because Victor already thinks this guy's a bit balmy. So anything he says isn't really, he's not really digesting it, let alone understanding it because the language is quite... Did you understand the dialect? Did you um, I, make it out or do I, you have subtitles on? I've always loved this scene and I used to have great fun. Like I'd, I'd try and get my friends interested in one foot in the grave and I'd always try and impersonate the dustman. Um, so I always particularly enjoyed his dialect, although I, I didn't know what uh, accent it's really supposed to be referencing or even if he's doing a, a realistic job of the accent. But you're a football but, yeah. fan, aren't you? So you, you probably would have seen Newcastle or Sunderland fans on the TV speak. Maybe. Yeah. I mean, my only reference point would be like Paul Gascoigne. Yeah, that's the, um, Paul, that's the like that. one, yeah. yeah. This is a, I mean, this guy was born in London. I mean, the, the actor. So either it's the actor, I don't know if he's, you know, maybe he was brought up in the Northeast all his life and acquired the accent, or he was directed uh, to put on this strong accent because it is very comical. In the greatest possible respect to anyone, any of my listeners who are from the Northeast, um, it's not slighting your um, accent at all. It's just this is a very good scene. Because this dustman thinks Victor's into his exotic pets, he's advertising his friend's uh, alligator eggs. And Victor gives a nod of approval just to get rid of him, I think, and sort of agrees without knowing it to take on some alligator eggs or take take hold of them. Yeah, I, I enjoy that bit where he uh, he lists all the snakes that he owns. And actually, it's a line that 
gets a good laugh whenever I watch it with South African people because he references uh, among his many snakes, he says he's got a, a boom slanger, which makes South Africans laugh no end because <laughs> it's it a South African snake and it's it's pronounced boom slung. Okay. Um, and it's an Afrikaans. The word boom means tree and a slung is a snake. So basically it sort of literally translates as a tree snake. But it's right. sort of one of our poisonous snakes that we have here in South Africa, quite notorious. So right. to hear him in his accent say boom slanger always <laughs> makes South Africans crack up every time. Every time I watch it with a South African, that, that oh, line gets a good laugh. Oh, I have got seven, you know. I've got four tanks. Four tanks. I've got two upstairs and two downstairs. I've got three water snakes, two whip snakes, a boom slanger, a real fang, and a, and a listen to this, a rhombic night adder. <laughs> I see. And by the look of it, mind, it's a canny little sample and all, I'll tell you. But if I was you, like, I would have put it back in the tank, you know. Should have put it back in the tank. Because I like to get out the hush, you know. The wonder about. I love, I love hearing people who aren't from this country watching British comedy and just picking up, just listening to our weird accents. There's so many variations of English accent. Uh, and also accent. the uh, the exaggerated way he says, a rhombic night adder. <laughs> I, really, I really enjoy that as well. Does he say he's got seven snakes? He actually counts eight different breeds. He says he's got three water snakes, two whip snakes, a boom slanger, a rear fang, and listen to this, a rhombic night adder. So that sounds like about eight to me. <laughs> so he's got more than he realizes. So I didn't, why, why was he um, offering alligator eggs? Was, is that for the snake to eat or just, oh, you know, this is, this is a victim elder who likes to collect? exotic things i guess if you're a reptile enthusiast you might be interested in baby alligators but what you do with them when they grow up i don't know yeah it's a great little scene in the living room victor goes to throw away this hat someone said before and i don't know who it was on this podcast that victor trying to dump his unwanted possessions in someone else's bin is a bit hypocritical because obviously we've seen Victor and his skip be used by someone else dumping their car in there or, you know, uh, mattresses. So it's a little bit hypocritical that he's uh, doing this. He's a little anxious about the flights. Margaret, there's a brilliant little um, <laughs> little, little silly. you find these in sketch shows, wouldn't you? This time tomorrow, I suppose, we'll be up there, up in the air. I wish you'd be told... It's as safe as crossing the road. <laughs> it's a great, well-timed moment. Uh, Victor, he sort of takes a look, looks at Margaret in, in horror at that moment and outside, but he seems to get over it quite quickly, doesn't he? They, they talk about um, uh, toilets on planes and stuff and disgusting plane food. I think his anxiety also is he recalls being sick on a Isle of Wight ferry. Right. And he can toilets on planes are just big enough to stand up and unlike the one on the ferry where he can lie down for the best part of the seventy five minutes. He won't be able to do that on the plane. So if they're gonna serve you disgusting plane food, at least they can do is uh give you a, a good quality of toilet, basically, is what he's saying. So it's quite a good funny bit of exchange there, Margaret. It is. So that I can't remember eating food on a plane. It's so long since like on a on a shortish flight. That's true. <laughs> so long been... since I've ever really been given a um, food included in the uh, in the cost of the ticket. Yeah, and gets... I haven't I haven't been on a long distance flight for like fifteen years now. Plane food does get a bad rep. I mean, yeah, like you say, most flights these days from this country is most will probably be using EasyJet, and you're going to be buying a snack. But it has been years since you would I was served like hot plane food, 
yeah. which came as part of the ticket. But I've always liked playing flute. I, I don't know why it gets a bad rep. I just like how it's packaged and <laughs> neatly. I certainly. I mean, I was I was a I was a kid or a teenager last time I. I ate plain food on a long distance flight. Now, I guess the novelty of it and the little packages and things you can open up, yeah. that sort of appealed to me in those days. Yeah. I don't know how I feel now. I, went, I remember flying to Dubai to, oh, 11 years ago. And of course, that, they were served two meals, like, you know, more or less straight away than five or six hours later. And that was, that was lush. That was a really good quality, like you expect on the Emirates uh, airline. So, um, Victor asks, you know, what's for dinner? Margaret response with the mystery of the two raw kidneys go missing. Obviously, well, the, you know, he asks. Days. He asks, um, "What's for tea?" Which is a, a sort of a, a a weird line for a South African. Say, would you say dinner or would you say something slightly different? Yeah, we just say what's for supper, what's for dinner, because uh, certainly as a kid, what's for tea? I didn't really understand the the link between tea and kidneys or. That, that type of food, so, so, because so, I just associate tea as, as it's a drink, or if, if you're going to have tea, you're going to sit down and have tea and like a biscuit or a scone or something. Well, to be honest with you, even people in this country have different ideas of what's what. You know, some people say dinner is at lunch and tea is evening meal. Other people just say lunch is lunch and dinner is your evening meal. He does spot something in the local paper. Have you seen this? Well, how can I have seen it? You've only just brought it in. This bit here they put in the local each week, your prayers are asked. Mm-hmm. Your prayers are asked for great uncle Dick, and his suffering may be eased, for Dennis and Deirdre on their recent tragic loss, for Auntie Jane that a miracle cure may be found, and for Victor Mildred who's going on a fortnight's holiday to Athens. <laughs> is, is great uncle Dick his uncle? Is it just someone called great uncle Dick? We, we know there is an uncle Dick, isn't there? mentioned later in the series hmm. possibly I'd, I, would series, never, I wouldn't weather, have sure. um, I would I would have assumed it's not a relate, relative of Victor's just some person in the neighborhood who's put in this uh, prayer request for their uncle Dick so it wouldn't be anything to do with Victor no 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 direct link there is that it's just unfortunate timing that he'd read the article knowing he's anxious about flying away are they flying the very next day they are aren't they I think in this time, yes yeah. I believe they are he suspects it's a Nobby Godfrey who's behind this. I've never heard of Nobby Godfrey since. It, I thought it could be Mrs. Warboys in disguise, you know, because she was a bit fearful for them flying out to a, a, somewhere that's not very nice, but probably not. <laughs> well, apparently this Nobby Godfrey works at the newspaper, so obviously it's probably somebody Victor knows from down the pub or something like that. And I was I love the name Nobby. It's one of those, <laughs> one of those funny names, whether it's Nobby... Godfrey, Nobby Styles, Nobby's Nuts. Nobby it's just Burn. a name that uh, a name that just always makes me chuckle. So there's a bit of a link um, to this reference about um, this Nobby Godfrey working at the the Herald on the packing line, because in Pit in the Pendulum, Victor goes for a job interview at the Herald to working on working on the packing bench. So perhaps. In a few years' time, he could have had the chance to reunite with Nobby. Ah, uh, interesting. Hmm. Well, Victor does strive for revenge when he next sees him, but I don't think we ever hear from him ever again. Like I said, he could have if he got a job at the Herald, but uh, Nobby might have even left by then, so who knows. So, yeah, relatively short scene over and done with. Bedtime now, and it's a very... Uh, <laughs> there's, some, there's, some, there's some music being played, which is very snake-like. You know, in those old films set in Egypt or 
certain parts of Africa where there's... Yeah, it's like a sort of like snake charmer type scene. Yeah, sort of a mesmerizing sort of song. Not really a song, is it? But it's zooming in on the Meldrews quilt duvet cover as clearly Python is under there. And you think, oh my God, they're going <laughs> to... This is not going to end very well. If you're watching this for the first time, of course. And I love how Victor says his legs want to sleep and it's just giving you a very... It's not even cryptic at this point. It's like, that is probably the snake. But then, of course, he gets out of bed. There's no snake on him. And, uh, yeah, he's he's okay. So they managed to survive that night without being strangled or eaten <laughs> to death. Um, yeah, I've always, I've always loved his line that the leg's cold and scaly um, <laughs> before he jumps out of the bed. Yes, it was, of course, the, was it the snake at that moment and it just he managed to wriggle out of it or... I assume he was just the snake was lying alongside him, yeah. And when he went to rub his leg, he was rubbing the snake instead. So yeah, it's like his legs going to sleep because he can't feel it in his leg. Yeah, but what he's feeling on his hand is the scales of the snake. Into that again, that's quite a short scene. Uh, into the morning, and the doorbell wakes Margaret up, and you think, oh, they're going to pull the cover off and see the snake. The snake's not there at all. Uh, no, no, sorry, it is there, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, it's on Victor's but chest. It's, it's 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 curled up in a nice, comfy sprawled out over his chest god that is insane isn't it must quite be quite brave. a weight yeah must be that's... quite a weight on his chest i mean i wake up with a, a cat on my chest most mornings <laughs> that and that's enough of a weight little and a, a seven foot python it wouldn't yeah. you wouldn't lie easily under that i don't think fair play to richard wilson though i mean if you had any kind of snake phobia rep, any reptile phobia you are not doing that scene are you that have to work around it but yeah he's very very brave. Well, at least with a, with a python, uh, you often see this with the, like kids go around to like a snake uh, yeah. uh, expert or whatever for a for an educational trip. At least the python is the one that's like the easiest to to get your head around as a a snake to have on you because it's like big. It's it's not doesn't move very fast. It's quite sort of like slow moving. You know, it's not like a, a venomous snake that all. They might bite you and kill you. <laughs> no, they're, they're, they're not every snake's like that. Yeah, yeah. So you have to be an expert to know that, I suppose. Thankfully for the Maldrews, this one clearly isn't a vicious, harmful, deadly snake. Um, but a bit later in the morning, I think it's about half past nine, I think it's referenced. There's yes. cries from cries from Victor. It, you think it's always he's spotted the, the snake, but it's not. It's, he's upset that Gloria Hunterford's on breakfast television. Again, she'll, she'll make a comeback in Starbound. Oh, yes, yeah, she does. The Sweeney. And, um, mums, well, what like is it, it about? What is it about Gloria Hannifer that objects to you so much? I've just been rewatching the Thin Blue Line. Yeah, and she's referenced constantly in that because Corp, uh, Constable Gladstone, uh, the West Indian uh, yeah. policeman, in that he's got this obsession with her. So she comes up in conversation all <laughs> the time. So he's like the opposite of Victor. Um, yeah. He would be very delighted to see. Gloria Hannaford on TV, or even better in person. She's still going strong at 82. Yeah, I think if she's still on our... I remember her doing... Um, I'm sure she did holiday programs throughout the year, for most of the yeah, most of the 90s. I could be wrong. Uh, the Royal Family, if you've watched the Royal Family, they mentioned Gloria Hannaford. Just one of those names, isn't it? Like you said, Mrs. Mr. Sweeney's mum likened her to two, two of the three aliens she encountered on the uh, planet Neptune. So, yeah, Margaret checks. Victor's taking his tranquilizer, obviously, to ease his anxieties ahead of the, the flight. Then Margaret, does Margaret mention that this Geordie guy has actually visited 
Um, she doesn't know why she dropped off something for him. Fix is a little confused, walks out the room, and that snake's does the snake slither into the bag? Did I see? I think it so. does, yes. Yeah. yeah. Um it must have been a well-trained python, because you assume that unless that shot was filmed as an insert uh, separately, but from the reaction of the audience, it sounds like this python Victor walks out the room and then they have this python climbing into the suitcase live in front of the audience. Well, they say never work with animals or children that they in TV, so it probably t- took quite a lot. Yeah, like I said, probably done it at a completely different time of recording, um, presumably not live. Uh, but yeah, anyway, into into the kitchen. They've, they've now got this box of eggs, and uh, yeah, these are obviously the alligator eggs, which they're completely oblivious to, you know, this fact. They just look like, they're probably, I don't, they don't even speculate that they're just really large eggs, because hen eggs aren't that size they're, they're more like uh, goose eggs that's probably more not quite the size of ostrich ostrich eggs obviously no but these are very large because margaret's <laughs> laugh at this she's boiling them for um gene to make her feel better <laughs> and the spoon she's got to take them out is just so small compared to the massive egg balancing on it i would certainly have a few questions about these eggs well, they're called alligator uh, eggs, so you go, oh, it's just a firm name. So it's, it's, it's so um, ridiculous that you wouldn't go, these must be alligator eggs. But you, you'd at least go, oh, I don't know, like this has just been delivered by a, a stranger in a box that says alligator eggs. They're large eggs. They're not the usual colour of eggs. I know you can get hen eggs in, in the colour white, particularly in America. In this country, it's orangey-beige colour. But, uh, and they no. do have a sort of funny or unusual texture to them. They've got like creases in the shell and, and stuff more, like that. The shell's a lot more hard, hardened, I think, than uh, the brittle hen eggs that you can get. <laughs> so yeah, Margaret's prepared these eggs for poor old Jean. And uh, yeah, how do you says, how do you know how to time an egg that's that big? Oh, I don't know. I mean, for me, I like a runny egg, so six and a half minutes from the boil, <laughs> and that works perfectly for me. Um, I just like how Margaret says she wants something bland that wouldn't upset her. <laughs> Little does she know what she's going to do to... I wonder if she'd... Uh, well, we'll see Jean's reaction later, won't we? She obviously wouldn't have e- eaten it if she's just been horrified by it. But, uh... So Margaret gives Victor the eggs to to take around to Jean's. Do we know how close by Jean lives at this point? He sort of walks out with the tray. I wonder like, how far he has to walk with this tray of eggs. I'm sure she's Jean's. in... I'm sure she's in... Wingate Crescent or Wingate Avenue. I think the Melges are Wingate Drive. They're, they're in the same area. She, I, I'm sure it's referenced that she's just walks across. She lives across the street. Yeah, I think it's walking distance. I think so. Yeah, I can never remember what the the address is. I think the Melges are Wingate Drive. Uh, I think she's okay. Wingate Crescent. I was just thinking ahead to series two, episode one at the airport, where Margaret hands the postcard, where Victor's handwriting is not clear. Um where he's supposed to have written 39 Wingate. Gene thinks it says 30. That's where the, the naught and the nine mix that comes later on in that episode. Right. But she just says, oh, it's 39 Wingate. She doesn't finish off of it's Wingate Drive, Avenue, whatever. Okay. So uh, anyway, yeah, Victor pops over to Jean's. She did struggle to complete Alien and she she was sick. Um, she just well, she says she got about halfway through, which I think is roughly how far my wife got through. Alien before she decided it was a bit too didn't much. Didn't fancy going any further. <laughs> Victor does. I think he. Um, I don't know how many times 
vomit is referenced throughout Welcome to the Grave. But I know Victor's forcibly sick when Gene thinks he's taking an overdose, sticks two fingers down his throat. Yeah. Oh, I, I think when he, I think is it Man in the Long Black Coat, when he drinks the, oh, the paper he's shredded up, you know, when he's trying to recreate the ashes that he thinks belongs to Mr. Sweeney's. Yes. <laughs> and he drinks that substance, doesn't he? And that makes him sick. But there's, there's probably some other references. So, um, yeah, Gene wishes Victor and Margaret well. Again, it's, it's a very short scene. A uh, number of times I've used that phrase in this podcast, sorry, everybody. But they really are. They're, they're, they're a couple of minutes each, almost. And the camera pans in on, on her as she uh, cracks open the egg <laughs> and screams in absolute fear. Is there a scream like that in Alien? Uh, there are be, screams, right? but it's not a close-up like that. Um, there's there's a scene where the alien comes out of the guy's chest mm. and all the people around the table are sort of all screaming simultaneously. But I don't remember like a close-up scream, maybe. Like a homage yeah, to the, Aiden by David. There's, there's one scene with, uh, what's the actress's name? Veronica Cartwright, where she gets comes face-to-face with the alien. Maybe right. it's a reference to that scene, but I can't quite yeah. picture the shot. But yeah. yes, a, a very good, nice... Uh, slow zoom or slow track in on Jean's face. Yeah, I don't, a, yeah I, a very good reaction. Yeah, the good thing is, it might have made her sick, but she would definitely wouldn't be consuming that, given yeah. uh, her stomach. You know, like, she, she, if she knew that previous solvent uh, solution was what it, you know, if she knew it was that, she wouldn't be drinking it. So, she, she's avoided this calamity. But I think of she, course, her stomach uh, would be weak. It works best uh, from a filmmaking point of view, that we don't get to see what she sees, mm-hmm. we just see her reaction. But I'm curious to to know what sort of a embryo or a very very small alligator yeah. she she actually saw when she cracked that egg open. If it was, I mean, it wouldn't have been just a, sort of a, a liquid mess inside like a like a normal egg would be. How fully developed it was. You, 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 time, you'd yeah. think you'd think it at least have a, a, a head and a face, maybe. A good uh, link to the to the alien reference with uh, scary looking things coming out of eggs because the, uh, the the actual poster of Alien is actually the alien egg sort of opening up when the the alien sort of comes springing out into your face when you mm. when you when the egg opens up. So it's it's kind of like yeah, it is very much like the alien that, yeah. that she would have seen in in the movie that freaked her out. So I thought listeners should know back home that it's uh, been it's been used. Uh, you can eat alligator meat, and also you can eat alligator eggs. They're known for consumption. Any vegans or vegetarians amongst us, you're not gonna. Maybe even meat eaters aren't gonna go that far, but it's you know, it's been known to be consumed. I think you can, anything that's ever existed on this planet has probably been eaten. <laughs> that's um, yeah, probably not that unusual in certain parts of the world. <laughs> At the kitchen, at the Meldrews kitchen, the the hat has returned once again. Is that the third time, third or fourth time, the, the hat he's just trying to get rid of? Um, and that's where we hear the first, I don't believe it. Sent locally. Ah, you know what this will be. He sent it back after all. What? The electricity man. He sent back Uncle George's shoes. <laughs> no, I don't believe it. When you listen to it, it's, it doesn't sound like a catchphrase. It's just delivered in very naturally. Like, it's very believable that he would say that line on the back of 
something that's happened to him. In this case, a rather snotty letter who owns a certain skip that Victor had tried to dump the hat in. And it's quite, I think to write a letter to someone for dumping in something as small as a hat, probably a bit too far, but they do have a point. Like Victor wouldn't like it, would he? At least that's not a mattress <laughs> or, or a, a de chevaux. <laughs> How do people know it's his hat? Sorry. Is it just the joke that he's well, that well known that he's got this ridiculous trilby and only potentially uh, whoever owned the skip saw him put it in and followed him although yeah i mean you i suppose you could get get somebody's address that way because he does send it in the post doesn't he yeah well dear does he mention an uncle george he does uh he thinks it's uncle george's shoes i put yes yeah so he thinks at first with the box that uh somebody uh maybe the the, the um Electricity guy has sent back Uncle George's shoes. Right. So he, he he opens it expecting to find the shoes and, of course, finds the hat. And, yeah, I don't yeah. believe it. And, of course, um, as has been said before, I mean, the fact, the reason that it became a catchphrase is just because of the number of times you would have to say, I don't believe it in mm. the uh, situations that Victor repeatedly finds himself in. So it is nice to see the sort of genesis of that here. And of course, the more times it happens, the more it's there's different variations on it, and they yeah. sort of even like make fun of it in the sense that Victor sometimes doesn't even get the whole line out. But in this, in this time, it's it's just a very sort of naturalistic uh, take on. I don't believe it. It's awfully and, funnier, uh, isn't it, when he doesn't complete the sentence, when he, he's stuttered, but he can't get the words out. Yeah, I, I, I it's it's largely down to the acting, like the, to deliver. So, you know, Renwick writes the amazingly funny dialogues and he comes up with these great storylines and situation comedy moments, but the actors have still got to be convincing and deliver it in such a way that it's going to make us laugh. And uh, they certainly do that throughout the whole of the And series. I suppose he never, he probably never really did do it the same way twice. It's, I'm sure there's true. always like a, a slight nuance uh, yeah. in, in how he says it. <laughs> He's definitely the. It's arguably my favourite catchphrase of all sitcoms. I mean, I, I like the many ones you get in Fools, but I think I don't believe it. And the variations of I don't believe it are just p- purely because how it comes out of Victor's mouth is so funny. It's it's not just the words, it's his expression on his face. It's his anguish, his despair that adds to the comedy. Yeah, it's brilliant. And I think I always found it funny when people just said the line, I don't believe it. I think even before I started watching... <laughs> One foot in the grave. I'd always find it amusing when somebody in real life would say that. Yeah, I remember having I remember having Richard on the pod actually, and said myself, "You cannot say that catchphrase out loud because I probably would as an accident, and it might come across that I'm trying to get him to say it." But that's the one thing I wouldn't ask him to do the catchphrase. I think he, he and him introducing the podcast is more than enough. That's like an absolute win. I, I'm so glad he was up for doing that because uh, yeah, yeah, it's really cheeky to ask, but he was obviously happy to do it. So like, I absolutely loved Margaret carrying that suitcase down the su- down the stairs. She's sort of quite bewildered that it's got a very heavy suitcase, knowing that the snake's in there. Poor Margaret trying to lug that down. I, do you know what? Rather the most, I mean, a totally pointless thing I tried to look into, but I'm sure there's another scene in another episode where Margaret's carrying the suitcase a suitcase up the stairs and she sort of sarcastically says to me oh don't help me then or sorry i'll take the luggage up and i can't remember what episode i know that when they they had her mother to stay her mother's dropped the suitcase down the stairs 
But I was just trying to think of the other episode where she's just trying to lug it up the stairs. And it's, it it's might no... not be the same one, but it, the one that springs to mind was would be the one where Victor had burnt his feet and he came in on his well, knees. Yeah. So I warm champagne. I, I did look at the episode and I couldn't see. I was skipping through very quickly, so I might have missed it. But it, I only say it because it's just the way Annette, again, Annette's just as funny as Richard but in, in this company. She's just so deliver, delivering her sardonic rants as well. They're, they're just as funny. A number of times I mentioned her, her growling and shoutings. Brilliant. And it is, yeah, I mean, and I think that bag is supposed to be like what Victor carries on the plane with him. So good luck carrying that one up the stairs into the into the <laughs> aeroplane. Because he says that at one point he references that he, he, he thinks he's forgotten the book that he had yeah. bought to read on the plane and then goes looking in that bag for the book almost and then he closes it again. So I would assume that that's the bag he was planning on taking on the plane with him. Yes, I think so. But I think you, you wouldn't be allowed to hang luggage that size anymore, would you? And the, I think uh, your uh, your snake would uh, take up more than your weight allowance. Absolutely. Yeah, it's a, it's a bit of a money maker for airlines now, isn't it? Um, it is, yeah. Being caught out with that a few times. The end scene is them in the car. I mean, Victor's by now taken tranquilizer because he, he's, he's that... He's, he's quite dozing, docile, isn't he, in, in the car. He's got his luggage on his lap. Like I said, he thinks he's forgotten his holiday read. If only he, if only he double-checked, we, he, they wouldn't have found themselves in the trouble they would find themselves in later. And I don't know, if, would he have been stopped in Athens or, or, or Gatwick? And I'm trying to think, because that luggage would have gone through security. They would have had X-ray scanners then, wouldn't they? Whatever it's called. I expect so, yeah. Did you think, was it clearly referenced? Because in the series two opener, there's a reference to that there's a, a dead snake in the luggage. Yeah, it's um, postcards, sorry. Yeah, there's a series in the series two opener where Jean's reading out the very brief notes or brief message on her postcard. It just says, arrive safe and sound, plane trip fine, apart from finding dead snake in the flight bag. So I guess they got through security, got onto the plane. The plane journey is fine, but at one point you need to go into his bag to get his book of course that's when they find the snake yeah and the poor thing died didn't it I think yeah he was suffocated so yeah that's it that ending in that cab it's very it's pretty much identical to love and death isn't it when they drive yeah, off very and, similar. Uh, sort of make peace with one another because they were sort of at each other's throats and that but yeah i mean that's that's a that's a good ending that's quite that does leave things somewhat on a cliffhanger because you know they've got on holiday with this python snake yes what happens and of course i thing? back in whenever it was that I watched this tape, I opened the box of the VHS, put, put the cassette back in, and then I saw in the little advert on the inside of the box, oh, the next videotape starts with an episode called In Luton Airport, No One Can Hear You Scream. So my yeah. assumption was obviously that the that the story would continue in the next episode and they'd get to the airport and then discover the snake in their bag as they were <laughs> checking onto their plane or something like that. But of course, that's not how it happens. No, it's not at all, no. Oh well, do you know what? that's a good ending to the series. Actually, probably my second favorite. I think I've highlighted my favorite being the Valley of Fear. I certainly would be choosing between Valley of Fear and um, uh, Return of the Speckled Band, okay. with a possible possible shout for the Eternal Quadrangle, just because I love the scene where where Mr. Wharton gets into the bed and gets undressed, and then Victor <laughs> finds him. That that scene is is one of my favorites. But yeah, I, I, as you know, I, I do love series one. And I think 
yeah, episode three and episode six of series one are the two uh, really strong ones. Um, and I would cite Return of the Speckled Band as my favorite of series one. And still, it would definitely be in the in the top few overall for me because, I mean, it is a, it is one that I've probably watched more than any other episode of One Foot in the Grave over yeah. the years. And yeah, there's there's so many little scenes and little moments that I really love in it. Well, I've, I've enjoyed reviewing that with you, Matt. Thank you very much for coming on again. Great to have you back on and your insight and observation or analysis of this, this finale. Yeah, um, thank you. Great fun as always. Yeah, it's really, really good to have you on. Um, you're you're active on uh, social media, aren't you? With you know, you're, you're a bit of a film buff. So if anyone wants to contact you, maybe they want to bring up something you've referenced in this episode. Maybe they know, well, you're a big Bond fan, say, for example. So what's your handle for uh, Twitter? It's uh, at Golrush007, G-O-L-R-U-S-H-007. There's no D. Is there any reason you can add the D? Or is that just it's taken up? It actually, originally it was Golrush as in like a football, like G-O-A-L. Right. And for some reason I dropped A. When oh, I was really? A, so it's an high school. So it wasn't, it wasn't gold. It was goal as in... To score a goal. Goal. Okay. All right. Well, um, thank you everyone for listening and for uh, listening to this rewatch series. I will be back to do series two with some new guests. It's been lovely to revisit these episodes uh, with listeners of this show. So thank you very much. And I look forward to the next episode, whenever that may be. I don't know. I haven't sort of semi planned to record it, but it will be out in due course. Matt, thanks very much for your time and uh, take care. Cheers. Thanks for having me. Mm-hmm.